0: This Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan for Mac. On today's show, Amazon dances with the Pentagon and the Seltzer Wars, but first, Local media's last lover. So earlier this week, we learned that a giant private equity firm called Apollo Global Management had tried to buy Tegna, one of America's largest owners of local TV stations. Tegna didn't like the price, so Apollo is now just negotiating to buy a strip of the stations. Why it matters is that almost no other private equity firm has interest in these sorts of assets, believing they've already been disrupted by streaming services and online news. But Apollo doesn't just want TV stations from Tegna. It also recently agreed to buy a portfolio of them from Cox and another from Northwest Broadcasting Group. And it bid to buy some from Nextstar, but lost out to Tegna, which means it might still get some of what it wants. Now, in part, Apollo is just clipping coupons here, given everyone else's lack of interest. But it's also arguing that the death of local media and of local TV in particular has been greatly exaggerated. If it's right, this could mean that there will be continued accountability for local mayors and governors and school boards and all of those consumer fraud investigations that otherwise don't really get done. It also means Apollo would become one of America's most influential news companies, even if most Americans don't know its name. If Apollo's wrong, well, then everyone else will be right. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. We're joined now by Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. So Sarah, Apollo wants all of these stations and no one else seems to why would Apollo want what everyone seems to think is a dying business?
1: Well, for one, I think that other broadcasters are thinking about consolidating. So even if a lot of private equity isn't coming in, we do know that other broadcasters are playing local broadcast hot potato right now. But it is unusual that a private equity firm is going to come in, swoop up these assets and think they can spin something out positively. I guess the you know more bullish take would be this. Local broadcast is still the number one way that people get news in America.
0: Okay, let's stop on that for a minute. Really? Yep. And, and by the way, and I say really because I, I was at my mother's house recently and then her and her husband, they watched like three straight episodes, like the 5 and the 5.30 and the 6, and I was just flabbergasted by it. But this is a thing, really, that I'm just unaware of.
1: Yeah, it's a thing. I mean, I think that especially when you have a lot of reporters coming from the coast where we have access to really high-speed internet, we think about the way that we get news and information very differently than people in rural parts of the country. Those people are very heavily reliant on local broadcasts. And if you take a look at all TV, it's also usually the most trusted form of television, more than national cable, et cetera. So... For one, there's a sense of authority there, and there is a sense of reach. And then the other thing I'd say is this: at the end of the day, that spectrum is still kind of valuable, and so you have a commodity that is limited, and that's why it's going to be tossed around like hot potato.
0: And to get into the weeds here, I spoke somebody kind of familiar with Apollo's thinking on this, and they basically argued, look, the the numbers are still really good. You know, the retransmission fees last year went up, not down.
1: Yeah, I mean the numbers are still pretty good. I think that at the end of the day, though, what is nervous for makes a lot of people nervous is the advertising business is just not very good. And that's because in local markets, if you are a local mom and pop retailer, maybe even an auto business that traditionally spent on local TV, you now find it way more efficient to just buy those ads on Google and Facebook. What actually continuously makes their ad business as good as political, which we know, yeah. and then a little bit of auto. But even that's not enough to continue to make those ad businesses grow bigger.
0: And on the political side, I mean, is it still true that if you're a local TV station that you make your money every other year, yes. essentially? With, with that a, is with true. Elections? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. You know, one thing somebody else, this person also told me vis-a-vis Apollo was that they've got an investment in Redbox, right? And Redbox is, you know, the thing that sits outside of 7-Elevens and you can rent DVDs from. And that there was this perception that Redbox was a terrible deal for them and that it was going the way of Blockbuster, but apparently apparently... apparently is still doing really well and speaks to this, that for all the talk we talk about streaming and unbundling and cord cutting, the, quote, older technologies still have a lot of runway in them.
1: Oh, yeah. The death of TV is greatly exaggerated. And the core cutting narrative is greatly exaggerated for a few reasons. One, OK, yeah, people might cut their cable subscription. A lot of them are running to skinny bundles or they're buying bunny ears and they're still watching traditional TV through over the air connections. And so people do watch a lot of linear stuff. Why do they do that? Uh, quite frankly, sports and news are things you still want to consume live. And we don't have really strong streaming alternatives to, for sports and news right now. Now. So I think that there's still a market for local TV. The question is, what does Apollo think it's going to do if it's buying up all these assets, you know, from Cox, potentially Tegna, if Tegna yep. plays ball? What are they going to do that's going to make them more efficient? We don't know that yet.
0: I mean, I think their argument's is going to probably be something along the lines of, well, if we own lots, it's the old private equity argument, right? If we own enough of an asset, then we can get synergies out of them and we can maybe, and, and probably we can squeeze a little bit on, on the cable companies.
1: Yes, I agree with that. One thing's super interesting. When the Cox sale went down, Cox sent out this internal memo that Axios obtained, and it made two points that I thought were notable. One was that they planned to create a local broadcast behemoth based out of Atlanta, which means that they want it to be pegged to Cox's core. And so you can expect, which that was a broadcasting core owned 14 stations, you can expect that this is going to be a broadcasting play. And any other things that they might be tapping into, a little bit of newspapers, a little bit of radio, that's not the core strategy here. It is broadcast. The other thing is that they want to leave management intact. And that's something that they've talked about when there were reports coming out that they were going after Nexstar, a little bit of that with Tegna, definitely with Cox. They operationally don't want to be involved in day to day.
0: You know, if you're a news, a local news consumer, part of you probably thinks, oh, God, big New York private equity firms buying it, that's going to be bad for me as a consumer because they're probably going to cut costs. On the other hand, if you are a local news consumer, and particularly, you know, if you're concerned, for example, about Sinclair, which is, you know, a very politically partisan company buying it, you know, Apollo's management has got some Democrats, got some Republicans, it's not an ideological organization. Is it kind of good for you? Because you say the local news folks are still going to run it. They're not going to they are not going to be getting editorial from a pie.
1: I mean, it could be a good thing in that case. I mean, we've seen what's happened with Sinclair, where you have people who are running nationally syndicated Republican-leaning scripts. I yep. mean, that's not something that I think a lot of people want in their local broadcasts. They want it to be just straight news that really comes down to what's happening locally, not necessarily national politics. But I think that one thing that Gives me hope a little bit about Apollo coming in is Apollo doesn't seem to be waving a lot of flags saying oh this is a big play we want to be a big you know no they won't talk on the record about it at all yeah they're kind of doing this on the DL which makes me think that one they don't have the strategy entirely figured out (laughs) shocking but two I think it also means that they're willing to experiment they want to take over Cox they want to see how it goes down see what they're operationally able to make better and then if it works then they can dip their toes into some of these other deals. And they're not rushing, quite frankly, to get Everything set in stone. Next Star has fallen through. Tegna, you see that they're not really too aggressive. We're only now finding out about some of those conversations.
0: Regulatory standpoint. Should there be any concerns when you look at everything Apollo's trying to put together, really into a giant broadcaster, which at some point they'll probably try to take public? Are there antitrust concerns from your perspective with this or not really?
1: I mean, some of the station deals that we've heard of, there would have been. I think with the Tegna deal, they would have had to divest two stations. This FCC, very much believes not necessarily in adding regulations, but deregulating legacy industries so that they can compete With big tech. And so to that, they expanded the broadcast ownership cap to 39%. I think the only regulatory, you know, fear that they might have is that they'd have to divest some of their stations if a deal were to be approved. But that's been happening with
0: every deal. It's not just a private equity thing. Sarah Fisher, media reporter for Axios. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Quick uh, shout out to Mike Lynch, who just retired as a broadcaster, sportscaster, Channel 5, WCVB in Boston after over 30 years. My final two after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two, but today it's really a final three, because there are three long reads that are worthy of your time this weekend. So first up is a piece about how Amazon and Silicon Valley seduced the Pentagon, published by Fortune in partnership with ProPublica. It's basically the story of persistent lobbying, a little known advisory board, and that controversial $10 billion cloud computing contract, which Amazon will probably get, but if they don't, somebody else in Silicon Valley will. The authors write, quote, there are certainly benefits. The Pentagon's technological infrastructure does indeed need to be modernized, but there may also be costs. Silicon Valley has pushed for the Pentagon to adopt its technology and its move fast and break things ethos. Second is the new cover of Bloomberg Business Week, which dives into how LaCroix, that flavored seltzer company, kind of revived my grandmother's favorite beverage, but now is also under siege not only from well-heeled rivals, but also internally by what it describes as a hard driving and idiosyncratic boss. They write, quote, with so much money sloshing around, another bigger bubble could be forming, but until it pops, LaCroix has a bullseye on its back. And finally, if you haven't dug in yet to the New York Times' 1619 project, which reexamines the legacy of American slavery, you are, well, doing yourself a disservice. Forget all the partisan bickering over it on Twitter. This is formative history of American capitalism, and it is hard to understand the present or the future without understanding the past, even if it's painful, uncomfortable, or inconvenient. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. Have a great National Tooth Fairy Day, and we'll be back on Monday with another ProRata Podcast.